Well, it is uh, truly amazing that uh, when God came to earth and took on human flesh, the angel would proclaim peace on earth. When you consider what we deserved as a rebellious, fallen human race, that God would come and say peace is just amazing. And when you look back at what had happened ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, the hostility, the conflict on earth, when you look at the hostility that's still on earth today, it's amazing that God would come and speak peace on earth and to know that in Christ it has started. And when Christ returns, we will see it fulfilled and all of this earth filled with, with his peace. So, man, that is, that is good news uh, and just great to pause every year to consider the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 this morning, just a, a few verses here where Luke just uh, gives us the uh, account of the birth of Christ in very succinct, very brief fashion. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be reading here after we pray, verses 1 through 7, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, Father, we do just bless you. Thank you so much for this season of life where we can uh, pause and consider the birth of Jesus, this amazing miracle, God in human flesh, the one and only true God-man, and, and to, to pause and consider the peace that we can now have through faith in Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, your word says, having been declared innocent by you through faith in Christ, we have peace with God. And we just bless you for that. We bless you for the peace we have right now, Father, with you. The peace that we can experience with one another through faith in Christ. And we just look forward to the final fulfillment of our peace when our Lord and Savior Jesus returns. So help us, Lord, now as we open your word and consider the birth of Christ. We just look to you now for grace and trust that you will provide it in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Amen. I don't know if, if you have realized this or not, but the human race is absolutely obsessed with that which is extraordinary. The extraordinary. Obsessed with that which is above, beyond, more than just ordinary. 
we want to do extraordinary things. Doing just the ordinary things of life (laughs) doesn't typically excite us all that much. Just eating meals, feeding kids, shopping for groceries, sleeping, working, talking, listening. Not the stuff we typically look forward to in this life. We want to get past that ordinary so we can do the extraordinary. The, the, the summer vacation, the, the summer day at the cabin, the Friday night movie, the, the, the long bike ride, the, the hike up of Long's Peak. And, and here's the thing, it's not just that we want to do the extraordinary. No, we also want to be extraordinary. Nobody wants to just be ordinary. No, we want to be outstanding. We want to stand out in some way. We, we want to be impressive, inspiring, the, the brightest, the funniest, the, the strongest. Michael Horton, I've read this quote to you before, just a great quote. He, he said this, he said, ordinary has to be one of the loneliest words in our vocabulary today. Who owns a bumper sticker that announces to the neighborhood, my child is an ordinary student at Bubbling Brook Elementary? Who wants to be that ordinary person who lives in an ordinary town, is a member of an ordinary church, has ordinary friends, and works an ordinary job? Our life has to count. We have to leave our mark, have a legacy. We have to make a difference. We have to be extraordinary. And we strive then as human beings to reach the extraordinary. We strive to be the extraordinary parents. We strive to have the extraordinary kids. We strive to have the extraordinary Facebook page. We we strive to have the extraordinary job, the extraordinary home, the extraordinary Christmas. And it takes a toll on us striving for this extraordinary existence. We work longer hours. We sleep fewer hours. We, we just stuff our lives with more activities. We eat quicker meals. No real time to just sit and be. No real time to just sit and be silent. But just do, do, do. More, more, more. And you know what this thing is within the human heart? This drive to do the extraordinary? This drive to be extraordinary? I think we'd like to be superhuman. Uh, Not just ordinary, normal human doing ordinary things with limited resources, weak, frail, have to eat, have to sleep, have to rest. No, we'd like to be superhuman if we could. Fly like Superman, smash like Hulk. No limits is what we want. No recharge, no frailty, no no weakness. We don't want to be just ordinary human. But something more. The human race just obsessed with the extraordinary. And that is one reason why the birth of Christ is really good news. Because one of the reasons why Jesus was born, one of the reasons why the eternal Son of God came 2,000 years ago, took on human flesh, well, Jesus was born to redeem your ordinary. Jesus was born so you 
could now simply be an ordinary human being, do ordinary human things, and find great joy in your ordinary. Jesus came to redeem your ordinary. I like to think here this morning about the birth of Christ in light of this concept of the ordinary. I have three points on the screen here. Three things we'll cover today. Number one, entering the ordinary. Number two, redeeming the ordinary. And number three, blessing the ordinary. So let's think first here about entering the ordinary. You know, when you look at the birth of Christ in the Bible... Man, you would expect to see all kinds of very extraordinary things. I mean, this this is God. The eternal Son of God in human flesh. And seriously, we'd expect God maybe to appear surrounded by nothing but the extraordinary. There's some sort of cosmic upheaval. The sky split in, in two. Angels did this sonic boom, and God is here in, in all of his blazing, extraordinary glory. And, and man, there, there was some extraordinary at the birth of Christ, because after all, he is God. So before Jesus was born, an angel announced his birth to his mother Mary and to his his father Joseph. After he was born, another angel announced his birth to shepherds. And the birth of Jesus itself, the Bible says, was a virgin birth, conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. Definitely some extraordinary at the birth of Christ. But man, when you stop and you really focus and look closely at the birth of Jesus Christ in the Bible, what do you see? You you just see a lot of very ordinary things. Not superhuman. It's just human. We see for starters, we just read here, just a very ordinary town in which Jesus was born. Verse 1 says that Caesar Augustus, Roman emperor at this time, he put out this decree that all the people in the Roman Empire should be registered. It was some sort of census by uh, Caesar Augustus. Each person had to travel to his or her hometown. And look at verse 4 again here. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And Jesus will now be born here in Bethlehem. Very ordinary, very small place. I mean, man, you'd expect God at this time in history to be born in Rome, at least, all these people, or to be born today in New York City, or, or in Seoul, South Korea, where you've got 10 million people. But this was Bethlehem, a very tiny, really a, a backwater town, as we would have said down in Mississippi when we were there. Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament prophesied about the future birth of Christ. Micah 5.2 said this. said, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler. 
And we sing about it every Christmas. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the light. Just this small, ordinary place. And we also see here with the birth of Christ, just a very ordinary family. Again, you would expect God to be born into some sort of wealthy, prominent family. But no, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, he was from the line of King David. So we had that going for him. But Joseph was no king. Joseph was just a humble carpenter. And and he was betrothed. He, He was engaged, not even married yet, to a very young servant girl named Mary. These were poor parents who, after Jesus is born right here, well, the Bible says that they will soon offer the poorest of offerings to consecrate their firstborn son at the temple. A very ordinary family and a very ordinary birthplace, not a wealthy hospital, surrounded by, by doctors, by nurses, but, but this is some sort of stable, some sort of barn, because as verse 7 says, there's no room in the inn, and not surrounded by doctors, nurses, but animals. And Jesus, after birth, he was laid, not in this, this, this cushioned bassinet, but in a manger, a dirty feeding trough for animals. It was dirty, it was a smelly birthplace. I know many of you probably have manger scenes in your house, these little figurines, Joseph, Mary, little baby Jesus, but I'll bet your manger scene is missing one critical item. There's probably no dung in your manger scene, thankfully. But there was here, dirty, smelly, ordinary birthplace, and in a very ordinary birth. Bloody, I'm sure, like all birds. Noisy, like all birds. I have witnessed five births now, and I know one thing about birds. They are not quiet. There was a movie came out recently, A Quiet Place. The female character is just starting to give birth in her home when a hostile alien enters her home, and she then has to give birth without making a sound. Just imagine that, mothers. This doesn't happen. And it didn't happen here with Mary giving birth to baby Jesus. We, we sing Silent Night at Christmas when we remember this night of the birth of Christ. And it might have been silent after the birth. It was not silent during the birth. This was just a, a very noisy, ordinary birth. And a very ordinary care for Jesus after his birth. Jesus here, just like all babies, was bloody, I'm sure. He, he had to be cleaned. He was crying. It was not the silent night yet. He's crying. If, if, if they don't cry when you're born, they spank you to cry. They, you gotta cry. Jesus was crying. He had to be comforted. He was nursed. He, 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 he was wrapped in swaddling cloths, verse 7 says. It was not the, the royal robes of a king. It was just strips of cloth. Diapers. You, you mothers who will only use cloth diapers, good job. That's what Jesus got right here. He got some cloth diapers. 
And man, you, you, you look closely at the birth of Christ. Eternal Son of God. God in human flesh. But you don't see all kinds of extraordinary here. No, most of what you see here is just so ordinary. And, and what do you see then with Christ the next 30 years of his life? It's now all just ordinary. Do you realize that for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, we see nothing in the Bible that would have classified as clearly extraordinary. There, there were no people raised from the dead, no people healed at all that we know of. There was no resurrection from the dead with Jesus. There was no ascension with Jesus. Nothing. It was just ordinary human life for 30 years. Ordinary human growth. Luke 2.40 says this. says, and the child grew and became strong. Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, it was just ordinary growth for this human body. It was growing in size, growing in appetite, I'm sure. Like, like all boys going from nursing to drinking like two gallons of milk every two hours in just a few years. And man, a very ordinary family life, I'm sure, still for Jesus as he was growing. Jesus interacting with his, his parents interacting with his siblings, Jesus playing games, laughing around the table, running through town, attending school, playing stickball or <laughs> Jewish stickball. I don't know, whatever they, they played back then. And, and Jesus here, in these 30 years of life, he had just very ordinary human limits. His human body had limited internal resources. His body could become depleted, could become weary, fatigued, needed to recharge. It required rest. It required nourishment like you and me. Jesus eating and drinking on a regular basis, eating meals with people all through the Bible. Jesus resting by a well in Cana. Or in a boat with his disciples, just weary. Or Jesus taking one day in seven, just to rest. The, 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 this Sabbath rest to replenish his internal resources. Jesus sleeping. Every 24 hours, most of the time. Until those occasions he prayed all night long. But Jesus sleeping. Not superhuman but just human ordinary human limits you, you know why we don't read much at all in the bible about the first 30 years of christ's life well here's one of the reasons i believe because it was all just so ordinary ordinary human life we see just so much in both the birth and the life of Christ that, that, that was ordinary. Like you and me. 
Now we also see some extraordinary, especially in his later public ministry, for sure, because again, Jesus is God in human flesh, not like you and me in that regard. But please just notice here that when God took on human flesh, his perfect, sinless humanity was not some sort of extraordinary superhuman, but just ordinary human. Jesus, fully human now, with all the ordinary that goes with fully human. And that's point number one, entering the ordinary. Point number two, redeeming the ordinary. You know, the $60 million question when it comes to Jesus taking on this very normal humanity is why? Why did Jesus take on this very normal humanity? And, and one simple answer is that Jesus did it to save sinners. It was human beings that had sinned. You, me, all of us, sinners. And it was a human being then who would need to pay the penalty for that sin, which was death. It couldn't be just the blood of a bull or a goat. The Bible says that could not pay for human sin. But the blood of a sinless human could pay for the sin of humans. So the eternal Son of God came. Fully God, but now also fully human with all the ordinary that goes with human except for sin. And Jesus died a a sinless human sacrifice. So you and I now, through a simple repentance and faith, simply turn from your sin and repentance, turn to God in faith, turn to Christ in faith, begin to follow Christ in faith as your Savior and Master, and you're forgiven. You're you're forgiven. That's one Simple answer for why Jesus took on this very ordinary humanity to save sinners. But here's the thing. It was more than that. It was more than just that. I think for a lot of Christians, that's all they know. Jesus was born to save sinners. And yes, Don't hear me wrongly here. That was the primary reason Jesus came. But please hear this. That was not the only reason why Jesus took on ordinary humanity. That answer alone, that Jesus was only born to save sinners, that is far too narrow. It is just partly true. Jesus entered the ordinary of human life for many reasons. And one other reason why Jesus did it, well, Jesus was born to redeem your ordinary. Jesus came to heal, to restore, to repair what it means to be human. He he came to show us what it looks like to be truly human. Jesus became fully human with all the ordinary that goes with human in order that you now, in Christ, might just be fully human with all of the ordinary that goes with fully human. Man, Jesus 
He came to rescue the human race from this relentless striving after some sort of extraordinary existence. Always striving to do the extraordinary. Always striving to be the extraordinary. Jesus was born so you can now let go. So, so you can now simply be an ordinary human being doing ordinary human things and find great joy in your ordinary. That's how God originally created us. Ordinary. But we lost our ordinary. I want to go back for a second to the Garden of Eden. Just pause, think back, Garden of Eden. God's creation of the first human beings, Adam and Eve. You know, a lot of people, when they think of Adam and Eve, before the fall, before they sinned, I I think a lot of people picture Adam and Eve as some kind of superhumans. Not just human like you and me, but extraordinary beings doing extraordinary things. Perfectly powerful, perfectly robust, perfect intelligent, limitless beings. That They didn't have limits like we do. Their sinless body had, bodies had unlimited internal resources. They, they didn't need to eat, drink, sleep, rest. They could work incessantly, these little Energizer bunnies just go on forever. Adam and Eve, way better than even the best of Avengers, fly like Superman, smash like Hulk. And I think many people believe it was the fall then, it was their sin that made their humanity ordinary. It was their sin that made the whole human race ordinary. It was sin that gave us limits, and we now have to eat and drink and rest. We, we now have to do this ridiculous thing called sleep. Can now no longer go on forever a new human smallness because of the fall? A new human helplessness because of the fall? And yes, sin did have a massive effect on our humanity. We began to sick, to get sick and die. But here's the thing. God did not create Adam and Eve to be superhuman. That's not how he created them. To, to be some sort of unlimited, extraordinary beings, way better than you and me. No, God created Adam and Eve to be human. He created Adam and Eve to be limited, ordinary beings, like you and me. God created Adam and Eve with human limits. Human limits. Adam and Eve, before the fall, had bodies that had to be replenished. They had to eat. They, they had to drink. It was the reason that God said they could eat from every tree in the garden. Because they had to eat from every tree in the garden. Because their bodies could become depleted. They had bodies that needed rest. God created them to, to sleep. I think for us, we look back at the Garden of Eden and think, well, Adam and Eve, they probably didn't have to sleep at all. If they did, maybe it was just 30 minutes. How do you know? Maybe for sinless human beings, you slept 16 hours. 
because you were so peaceful and knew you didn't have to rule the world. God created them to sleep. An extended period every 24 hours. Man, contrary to what some workaholics today would like to believe, sleep is not a result of the fall. Sleep is not sinful. It's not evil. No, sleep is good. God created us to do it. God created us to rest. God even gave Adam and Eve, with their sinless humanity, this weekly pattern of one day off a week. A Sabbath rest. Why? One of the reasons? To rest. God knew. They couldn't go on forever like Energizer bunnies. They needed rest. He created us to need that. Just these God-given human limits. God, God created Adam and Eve. You know, you know how God created them? God created them small. By God's standards, God created them weak. By God's standards, God created them frail by God's standards. God created them helpless by God's standards. And do you know why God created mankind like that? So that we would be dependent. So that we would be dependent. That we would lean on Him for everything. Not all powerful, independent beings caring for ourselves, but small, helpless, dependent beings leaning on God, in communion with God, looking to God for everything. Man, you stop and think about it. You know what God created the human race to be? Well, God created the human race to be not God. And that right there, our not Godness, would be the thing that would keep us close to God. In communion with God, looking to God, leaning on God for everything. Julie Canlis says this great book she wrote called Theology of the Ordinary. She says, Humans were created with limitations, and this is part of their glory. Adam and Eve were not required to be superhuman, super virtuous, super powerful. Their only requirement was their ordinary existence offered to their Creator with gratitude and dependence. This was their daily worship. This was indeed good news. The limitations that are part of us being not God were intended to keep us close and in relationship with God. Our very limitations imply the need for relationship. Listen, do you know the only superpower that Adam and Eve possessed when they were created? Trust. Trust. They were small, they were limited, they were helpless, but they trusted God in communion with God, living very ordinary lives. They worked, cultivating the ground, they ate, they slept, they rested, they enjoyed one another, I'm sure they laughed, I'm sure they, they walked with God in the cool of the evening 
the Bible says, ordinary human beings doing ordinary things, finding great joy in their ordinary lives, lived quorum Deo before the face of God. How do we know? How do we know that this was what sinless humanity was like before the fall? Look at Christ in His sinless humanity. Jesus shows us what humanity was designed to be. God's perfect design. And what do we see with the humanity of Christ? We see a whole lot of ordinary. And He was also God in human flesh. And yet in His humanity we see ordinary. And man, what did God say then to Adam and Eve? After creating, creating them this way, ordinary, limited, small, helpless, dependent, God said, it is very good. It is very good. That, that, that is right. Humanity as it's meant to be very good. Not extraordinary, superhuman, but just ordinary human, small, helpless, dependent on me, God says, communion with me, a perfect humanity. And you know what the fall was then? You, do, do you know, do you realize what mankind's sin in the garden was? Well, it was man attempting to be superhuman. It was man attempting now to be something we weren't created to be. Attempting, the Bible says, to be like God. We were no longer content with just human. All the ordinary that goes with human. But striving now to be superhuman. Extraordinary beings doing extraordinary things. No longer content to be just small. To be helpless. To be dependent but grasping now for something more. No longer content with limits. No longer content to just work a normal job and to eat and to drink and to sleep. We lost our ordinary in the Garden of Eden. We forgot how to be human as God designed it. We forgot how to be small, helpless, Depending on God at all times. We forgot how to respect our human limits. We forgot how to enjoy just the ordinary stuff of life. We lost our communion with God in the ordinary stuff of life. And the human race ever since has been despising the ordinary. Striving relentlessly now for the extraordinary superhuman life. Grasping after The wind. And listen. We have not escaped from this thing unscathed. Now in our relentless pursuit of this abnormal, extraordinary life, we have done violence to ourselves. We have done violence to our God-given humanity. And so Jesus Christ, eternal Son of God, took on human flesh, taking on this very ordinary God-designed humanity. And why did He do it? To save sinners for sure. But more than that, Jesus was born to redeem your 
ordinary. Jesus came to heal. He came to restore. He came to repair what it means to be human. Jesus came to show us once again what it looks like to be human. One of the greatest 4th century theologians, a man named Gregory of Nazianzus, he once said this. He said, the unassumed is the unhealed. Or, in similar terms, whatever parts of us that Jesus did not assume, whatever parts of us that Jesus did not take upon Himself or bear upon Himself, those things are unhealed. But on the flip side, conversely, whatever parts of us Jesus did assume, whatever parts of us Jesus did take upon Himself, bear upon Himself, those things are healed. And Jesus took upon Himself our full humanity. He assumed our full humanity. And why? Not just to heal our sin, but to heal our humanity. To bring us back to the humanity God originally designed for us. Small, limited, dependent, in communion with God at all times, leaning on God for all things. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be truly human. Jesus became fully human with all the ordinary that goes with human in order that you now in Christ, through faith in Christ, you might also once again be just fully human with all of the ordinary that goes with human. Praise God for that. The pressure's gone. The pressure's gone. God never created you to be superhuman. Jesus was born to redeem your ordinary. Point number one, entering the ordinary. Point number two, redeeming the ordinary, and the final point, number three, blessing the ordinary. Guess what? Once you truly trust in Christ by faith, a follower of Christ, a living faith in Jesus, if that's you today, do you realize what you can now do? You can now just be ordinary humans. As God created you to be. You can let go of this fallen world's obsession with the extraordinary. You don't have to strive anymore. Praise God after some sort of extraordinary existence. Despising the ordinary, always striving to do the extraordinary, always striving to be the extraordinary. You can now just be human, ordinary human being, doing ordinary human things, finding great joy in your ordinary. And what does that mean for you if you are a follower of Christ? What does that mean in simple terms? Well, things like this. It means you can now be small and you can stop trying to be big in this life. It means that you can now be weak, which you really are, and you can stop acting like you're strong in this world. 
It means that you can be helpless, which you really are. You can be frail, which you are. You can be finite, which you are. It means that you can now be unimpressive. It, by world standards, it means you can be average. By world standards. It means you can be common. You can be unnoticed. You can be unseen. You can be limited. Just ordinary God-given human limits. You can acknowledge that you have finite resources in your physical body. You can now eat and drink. There you go. But listen, not, not just these 30-second fast food pit stops for superhumans so you can get on to doing other things, but real God-designed meals where you actually slow down. You actually taste the food before it goes into your throat. You actually talk to, you, you, you listen to the people next to you when you eat your meal. Please listen to me. You know what it means if you're in Christ? It means you can now sleep. God designed rest for your weary, depleted mind and body. You might not believe this, but it truly is okay now for you to sleep a full eight hours. The world won't crumble without you. Something I need to hear every day. Your superhuman status might crumble. If you sleep eight hours a night, get the rest that your body needs. Nobody will think you're superhuman anymore, maybe. Superman, superwoman, if you don't work all night long. But God can handle the world without you. It's not just okay for you to sleep. God wants you to sleep. God wants you to respect the human limits that he built into your physical body. You can now slow down in your life. You can stop cramming your life just full of more and more and more activity trying to build the extraordinary superhuman life. You, you can actually slow down. You don't have to run so fast running past the important people in your life to get to the next best thing. It means that you can do less in your life. Now, some people here, you may need to be told to do a little more in your life. I don't know where you're at with this sermon. <laughs> Somebody out there thinking, sweet, I've never done anything, and now God's telling me don't do anything. I'm good to go, man. No, you could probably sleep less than 16 hours. You could probably get out of bed and actually brush your teeth, <laughs> something like that. But I would bet that for most people here, you need to hear this. You need to know that because of Christ, you can actually do less. You can stop striving relentlessly to live some sort of superhuman, extraordinary life. You can now just be human, ordinary. And here's, here's, here's the amazing thing. Man, when you come to faith in Christ... The Bible says you're now in union with Christ. 
And you know what that means? Jesus is now with you always in the person of the Holy Spirit. You are now like Adam and Eve, man. Back in the Garden of Eden, you're living again always in the presence of God Himself. And you know what that means? It means that God is in your ordinary. He is in the ordinary stuff of your life. Everything you do, whether eating, drinking, sleeping, working, feeding kids, balancing the checkbook, shopping for groceries, God is there in your ordinary. And man, it gets even better than that. Listen, when you actually do your ordinary in communion with God, with a mind to honor God, doing all, even your ordinary, to the glory of God, well, God is pleased with your ordinary. And God blesses your ordinary. God is infinitely pleased. When you as his child simply live your ordinary human life like Christ, laughing, weeping, playing, eating, drinking, sleeping in God's presence for God's glory. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, just take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. And you, listen, you do that right there as a follower of Christ and God is infinitely pleased with your ordinary. God blesses your ordinary. And it's just so important for Christians to hear that today. So important for me to hear that today. Because it's just so easy as a Christian to think that God blesses only the extraordinary things that you do for Him. William Carey, 1800s missionary to India, often called the father of modern missions, he once said this, Do great things for God. Expect Great things from God. And please hear me when I say this. I don't at all want to take away from anything that William Carey just said right there. I don't want you to stone me as a William Carey hater because this was a really godly man. And man, it is fantastic when God allows us as Christians to do things that look like they're great. But here's the problem. A lot of Christians now believe it's only the so-called great things. Only the extraordinary things for God that are actually noticed by God and blessed by God. And that is simply not true. Man, when you look at the Bible, at what God calls us now as Christians to do, guess what? You don't find God anywhere saying, now Christian, go and do just extraordinary things for me because that's all that really counts. No, he doesn't. You know what God tells us to do now as Christians in the Bible? Well, well, God, God says things like, mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. Live a quiet life. Don't provoke your children to anger, fathers. Don't gossip. Be quick to listen. 
love one another, pray, rejoice in all things. Just take your everyday, ordinary life, as Peterson said. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering and you do that and God will be infinitely pleased and God will bless your ordinary. And do you see now, those of you who follow Christ, you truly are free. You, you have been liberated from this fallen world's bondage to the extraordinary. So, so let me say these things to you Christians, those of you who now trust in Christ. You Christian mothers, nurse your baby for the glory of God. Parents, listen to your children for the glory of God. Raise them for the glory of God. Singles, enjoy your friends for the glory of God. Enjoy the freedom you have to serve God. Eat your long extended meals for the glory of God. Sleep eight hours for the glory of God. Work your job. Love your neighbor, rest, play games, balance the checkbook, shop for groceries, clean the house, be fully present with the people around you, not looking down the road, but present, weep with those who weep, laugh with those who laugh, listen, love, Do the ordinary stuff of human life for the glory of God. And God will look at your very ordinary life, lived in communion with Him, leaning on Him at all times, looking to Him for all things. And God will say, it is very good. That is humanity. How I, as I've created it to be. You have come back to the Garden of Eden. The way I designed you to function. It is very good. So joy to the world. The Lord has come. And one of the reasons why it is such great news That Jesus, the eternal Son of God, has come. Because Jesus was born to redeem your ordinary. And in Christ Jesus now, through faith in Christ, you can now just be human. As God intended. So can I just encourage you this Christmas season? Come to Christ in faith. Man, repent of your sins. Trust in Christ. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how bad you are. Don't play games with it. Don't act like you're Christian when you're really not. Don't call yourself a Christian if Jesus is not really your master. But it's not complex. 
Come as a sinner to Christ. Trust in Christ by faith. Do it this Christmas time. And then, hidden now by faith in Christ Jesus, enjoy now forever your God-designed, God-given, God-glorifying, very ordinary life. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. You are free, Christian. You are free in Christ. Lord, we bless your holy name. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that you did not, first and foremost, create us to be human doings. But you created us to be human beings. Just being in life. Being in the ordinary stuff of life. Being with friends. Being with family. Being in communion with you. Being In this thing called life. We ask you to forgive us Lord God. We've lost it. We lost that being. We lost that ordinary stuff of human life. And we became human doings. Trying to achieve the extraordinary. Superhuman life. We tried tried to be like you Lord God. So forgive us. We thank you that Lord when you came to earth. In the person of Lord Jesus, God in human flesh, you came as a baby. As a baby. Just being. Not doing. Just being. And for 30 years of life, just being. And Father, we just thank you that your words over Jesus, after 30 years of ordinary being, just ordinary life, you spoke from heaven and said, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Living an ordinary life before your face, very good. So Lord, will you help us this Christmas to simplify? Will you help us, Father, this Christmas to let go? To let go of all the stuff we cram into our lives. The busyness we cram into our lives. All the efforts to to have an extraordinary existence or to be an extraordinary person. We help us, Father, in Christ Jesus to let go. And to just find joy with what is right here today. Find joy in my family, to find joy in my spouse, to find joy in my children, to find joy in my singleness, to find joy in, in, in this season, to find joy in my job. Whatever it is you have for us, Lord, help us to let go. And Father, we know it will be glorifying to you when we return to that which you created us to be. We thank you for it, Lord, and bless you. In the name of Jesus, amen.